I'm Cameron Silsby, and I head up all of the Van City communities. Almost five years ago, my wife and I took a once-in-a-lifetime vacation. We're not generally super big spenders when it comes to vacation. Uh, my wife, Hannah, loves a good deal, and usually we go where the good deal is. For whatever reason, that strategy has resulted in us always going somewhere in California for a vacation. Except for five years ago. That vacation took us to Hawaii. We had discounted airfare, a free car to use, and a free place to stay. But this wasn't an Airbnb we stayed at. It was a multi-million dollar private residence that was more like a resort. Previous owners had hosted Hollywood movie stars there. Uh, the main house was almost 20,000 square feet. Uh, we stayed in a guest house that was twice as big as our house in Vancouver. The beach was a three-minute walk from our guest house and was secluded enough that we never saw anyone else on the beach. There was snorkeling gear that we could use, a pool. It was absolutely nuts, and it didn't cost us very much. Honestly, it's surreal to remember that it actually happened. Uh, too good to be true. We've made peace with the fact that no other vacation we take will ever measure up to that one. It's not even worth trying. I experienced that too-good-to-be-true vacation, and I can think back to moments and memories uh, from that trip. But what can we do if something is too good to be true with no direct way to experience it? We'll be reading Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. Grab your Bible, and let's read it together. Colossians 2, starting in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross." Paul was previously packing in a ton of Christology, which is a theology of Jesus, in the previous verses. And now he shifts to what has been done on the Colossians' behalf through Jesus by using jarring language and imagery. Let me explain. Jesus wasn't just an option in the religious buffet line that they happened to choose for themselves. Far from merely choosing to be apprentices of Jesus, Paul explains that they were utterly unworthy and set against life to the fullest in God. And God went to great lengths to provide a way to fix that. He did so by forgiving the Colossians all of their sins. Everything from small sins to the sins that they would have been mortified that others knew about. Every single sin forgiven. But it was very costly. Paul uses a legal technical term when he describes a charge of legal indebtedness. The idea he's getting at is, yes, God has forgiven all the sins of the Colossians, but they had accrued an immense amount of moral debt for all of their sin. Think of this as a book containing all of a person's sins, big and small. It was a record that proved the Colossians' unworthiness to be with God, you know, rightfully condemning them by their own lives. But God took care of the debt. Paul explains how he did so by using one of the most amazing word pictures in the New Testament. 
If you know anything about the crucifixion of Jesus, when they nailed him to the cross, the Roman authorities hung a sign above Jesus' head to explain why he was being crucified. It read, the king of the Jews. He was a political usurper to Caesar, and so he was executed. What Paul seems to be doing is using the picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. But instead of the sign above his head, the book containing all of the sin of each Colossian apprentice was attached to the cross above the head of Jesus. Instead of dying for political reasons, Jesus hung on the cross under every sin committed by each apprentice. The cross wasn't just a death sentence either. It was the height of public humiliation. Dying naked on display for anyone passing by, it was brutal. Jesus experienced the guilt and shame for sin on the cross. But Paul goes on. Jesus didn't just pay to make the Colossians worthy of God. He simultaneously disarmed and shamed the powers and authorities. Paul's way of saying malevolent spiritual beings. How did he do this? In the scriptures, one of the ways the character of Satan attacks the people of God is through accusation, pointing out their unworthiness to be with God. He's even referred to as the accuser. But that strategy is rendered powerless when God himself takes care of the charge of legal indebtedness. There is now nothing an apprentice of Jesus can be accused of before God. They are fit to be in God's presence and a part of his kingdom. This can seem too good to be true, and it can be hard to live like it's true. I mean, sure, God loves you and he loves me. He forgives our sins. But when I've really blown it, when I'm ashamed of what I've done, drawing close to God isn't what I necessarily want to do. Maybe I'd rather try to do some positive things to make up for what I've done, or I'd rather numb the feelings of guilt and shame. There's something that assumes that I will be condemned in God's presence rather than cleansed, forgiven, accepted, loved. Satan may not have anything to accuse us about, but he sure lies and acts like he does. Sure, God has forgiven my sins, but not for that. I mean, sure, Jesus has taken the shame and defilement of my sin and sinned unto me, but not for that. The lifelong goal of ours as apprentices of Jesus is to learn and grow to be people who live our lives in the true reality that we are totally forgiven, totally cleansed, totally loved by God. One helpful way to experience this reality is by using imaginative prayer, putting to use Paul's uh, word picture. God has gifted us with an imagination that can be used to experience a true, a true reality that otherwise would be somewhat abstract. So go ahead and find a quiet place that is distraction-free. I'm going to lead you in an imaginative prayer exercise. Take a moment to ask God's Spirit to guide you through this time. Now, 
close your eyes. Imagine you are standing with a book in your hands. It's big and it's pretty heavy. Feel the weight of it in your hands. Now open it and flip through some of the pages. On the pages is line after line of text. Each line of text is your sin. Every thought, motivation, and action that has been against God and the way of Jesus. As you look at the lines of text, realize this book contains more than just what has happened, but also contains the sin that will happen in your life. All of your sin is in this book. You see also that some of the text is written in red. Those are the things that you feel particularly bad for. Maybe they bring up feelings of shame, guilt, humiliation. Maybe they make you feel dirty. Maybe they're recent. Maybe they're in the distant past. Either way, they stick out. Now, open your eyes and take a few deep breaths. Close your eyes again. Now, see yourself standing before an upright cross. On the cross, Jesus is hanging, nailed to it. Bleeding, struggling, hurting. Right above his head, the book you were just holding has also been nailed to the cross. You realize when you see this, that those lines of text, what you've done and what you will do, is the reason Jesus is hanging there. In your mind's eye, look up to the face of Jesus, bloodied, tired, and see his expression. Instead of disapproval or anger, you see love in his eyes as he looks back at you. Perhaps you see a smile faintly on his lips. Open your eyes and take a few deep breaths. Close your eyes once more. See yourself standing empty-handed. The weight of the book is gone. Your hands feel free and light. And then you feel an arm around your shoulder and you look up to see the face of the Father smiling down at you. 
with a beaming expression, he says, You are my child that I love. With you, I'm very pleased. Allow that moment to linger. When you're ready, end your time by expressing your gratitude for God's forgiveness and what that means to you. Jesus, continue to shape us as people that live as though we are forgiven and loved by you. Amen. Amen.